we're talking about this uh, friendship series and um, a variety of things that have come up. Um, I've had a chance to hear back from a lot of you. I've actually been a little bit surprised at the uh, kind of interaction that's taken place. I have received a, a couple of different articles just about this whole social networking um, aspect and friendship and the changes in the culture and uh, different things around Facebook and I mean and just in my space and then even the people were talking to me about Twitter and different things that are developing out there in the culture at large and just fa it's really actually fascinating stuff to think about how friendship is changing what relationships are looking like what technology has done to them uh, also more than a few of you talked about the power of encouragement and how we really do need to have encouragement and, and if more than a few of you actually sent some encouraging words our way, which are appreciated at different times, or just about, you know, uh, to not just think good thoughts, but ask you to follow through on them. And maybe one of the things coming out of this morning will be that we won't just think a good thought about something we might want to do, we actually might do it, and send someone a, a, a note, or uh, perhaps even a letting someone know in a conversation that how much we do appreciate them and, and care for them and are thankful and grateful for their friendship, that they are a gift from God to us and one that we appreciate greatly and would miss if it were taken from us. So uh, be, let's just be thinking in that direction. You know, I had a verse that I would like to just throw up there uh, on the screen here for us from Proverbs. This is kind of a bridge verse from where we've been to where we're going. But in Proverbs it says that without counsel, you know, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, there is, you know, those plans are established, there is safety. And then, of course, the second part there says how, how, how a word, and a word in due season, or at the right time in our life, how a word, a phrase, a conversation at the right time can be so huge for us, how good it is. And in one of the verses, it has like an exclamation point, how precious, how rich, how, how much of a blessing encouraging words can be, be for us. Now, there are two things that, I, I, that we've been touching on that both are connected in these verses. We've been talking about friendship. One of them has to do with how we get counsel in our lives. <clears throat> we've been trying to make the case that all friendship is not the same, but that we really do have a need for a few people in our lives who are capable of challenging us to move forward with God, that there are soul-replenishing relationships that we have. Many of us have friendships some of the friendships that we have, I mean, that are, are actually friendships that we're close with people. But um, I've been trying to suggest that in, in light of all the relationships we might have, friendships we might have, associations we might have, people that we're connected with because of various things that we're involved in or hobbies we have or interests we have or we work together or they're part of our family, that in addition to all the relationships that we have, that it is so huge to have people in our lives who we can talk with about the things of the Lord and who will challenge us and sharpen us and call us to places of growth that the, the, the value of investing in relationships in a church community as it's connected to whether a small group or a ministry team or some type of an expression of service, that when we do things together, we create the possibility of building relationships with people who are trying to move forward with the Lord in, in a similar way that we are. And as a result, we have encouraging relationships that, are, that are, people have the freedom and access to speak into our lives and therefore, we can hear the wisdom of God through their voices because there's a common trust and desire to move forward. So, I'm, so and, and along the lines there, some friendships 
are huge for us in terms of their spiritual value that they bring and the, the blessing that that is. But then there are other friendships that honestly, I have twofold um, point in just saying this, is that some of us need to pay more attention to developing those friendships in our lives. And at the same token, there may be some friendships in our lives that we maybe need to take a close look at and ask ourselves some hard questions about whether or not this is actually something that is really hurting us or is it, is it, is it potentially even, even worse? And, 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 and perhaps some of us, and again, we've talked a lot about loyalty. I get that. I, I, I'm not suggesting we just casually break, break things with people, but I, I am going to say because that there may come times in our lives, at least for a season, where some relationships are so toxic and so damaging mutually that it would be wise to reevaluate those friendships. So I'm, I'm, again, I say that with, with not anything, hopefully, that even sounds remotely pharisaical, but just because of the fact that I am convinced that there are some times where our, our pathway to growth with the Lord and moving forward on things is being hindered because of associations that we have established that honestly are not strengthening us, they're actually really hurting us. And that we need to actually focus more on building soul-replenishing relationships and then call, for, call forth growth out of our lives. So just take that for what it is. And then secondly, the other thing has to do with that idea of a word in good season. I think that makes us, I mean, there have been times in my life where there have been people who've spoken a word in a good word in due season at the right time, and it has made a huge difference, huge difference. And so we're talking about friendship. We're talking about what it means to be a friend. We're talking about what it means to ask God about our relationships and to be open with him around them. So we're going to look at a unique passage. The focus of our sharing time here is from an account of, some, of an incident that occurred in the sixth chapter of Luke. And it's in our handout. We're going to look at it together here. This is something that occurred. It says that on a, it happened in verse 17. It happened on a certain day as he was teaching. That would have been Jesus. As he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, immediately, there are three things we should notice. One, Jesus was teaching. So he was sharing, he was talking, he was giving a lesson, he was opening up the scriptures. This is what he was doing. We're also told that the crowd that had come around him was an interesting mix of people, part of which we should note, as the scripture tells us here, not only was it filled with people who were genuinely open and intrigued and um, you know, receptive to his teaching and his words, but there were others who had come with far less openness and far more suspicion. And we're told here that there were scribes and Pharisees, and these were religious authorities that we're told had come from a, from a large span. I mean, there was representation from Jerusalem, uh, which would have been the epicenter of their, of, you know, at, of their day of, of religious thought and political thought. Uh, there were uh, officials that had come from Judea, the greater, larger province in which Jerusalem was a part of, and then Galilee as well. I mean, there were people who had come to listen to Jesus because he was highly controversial at this time, but they didn't necessarily come with openness. And there, there were many who, uh, although intrigued, were nonetheless unwilling to embrace him in the way that he was suggesting he needed to be embraced. And as a result, he was a bit of a lightning rod. And so this group of people 
had gathered with a variety of motives. And we're also told one other thing that is not commonly actually uh, found in the scriptures. That phrase at the end of that verse, which says that the power of the Lord was present to heal them, that is an, a, a, a not, uh, actually it's, a, it's rarely that we see something like this. In the, the, but it's, it's a curious phrase. It, it implies that not all moments are the same kind of moments. And that there are times where the Lord's presence creates a healing environment that is different than other times. I mean, there is a sense that wherever Jesus went, the power of the Lord was present to heal. But there was also a sense, at least this was implied here, that there were certain times where there was something about the way things were, that there was a unique capacity for the movement of God to bring healing. And so if we can put it this way, there are some times where the Lord is moving in a, in a in a place, it could be a church like this at times. It can be other places where we're in the middle of a conversation where there is this sense that the Lord is present among us in a different way than usual. And in these moments where God is speaking or we feel his presence, there is oftentimes a unique opportunity for breakthrough. The Lord, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That's the setting. He's teaching, people are listening, critics are there, followers are there. The disciples are there, the interested, the intrigued, the suspicious, many different kinds, the doubters, the cynics, all gathered together in this house, this large house where Jesus is teaching. And as he's teaching them, something happens. Notice what we're told. Then behold, something occurs. Something comes and, and changes the whole dynamic. Uh, it would be as if in the middle of, of our gathering, something happened. Uh, I, the best analogy I could make would be that all of a sudden, those tiles uh, up on the ceiling there started coming down, and uh, a lot of you were running for cover at that point, and um, all of a sudden we see a guy being lowered down, and that's a, th Jesus in the middle of teaching a lesson, and all of a sudden you can get the picture here. It says that the, he's teaching, and then all of a sudden you, in this case, you saw this, you see dirt starting to come down, tile uh, breaking of clay. All of a sudden there's a, a someone. They look up. There's this roof. The, the ceiling is being ripped open. There are guys up there, and they're creating a huge opening in the roof in the middle of this gathering, and they're lowering down a guy. Um, who's clearly sick. He, the Bible says he was paralyzed. But notice what happens. It says, Behold, men brought a, uh, on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him, before Jesus. And it says, And when they could not find how they might bring him in, why? Because there was so many people there, they couldn't get him in the house. They got there late. And there were so many people there, they couldn't get him in. So one of them says, Well, let's go up onto the roof. And frequently there was a, a stairwell that would lead to the rooftop which was often used as a gathering place itself because in the heat of the day, especially by the, say by the cool of the evening, people would go up to the rooftop and often either have their meals together, uh, would sit, uh, they would talk, they would pray, they would do a number of things, read. I mean, there, it was, a, it was a, like another room. But these men found their way up to the rooftop and they, it says that they began to dig a hole through the roof and they, they began to lower their friend through the roof, it says here, and everybody was obviously stunned at what was happening. Certainly the owner was, um, you know, as he saw his roof being ripped apart. And it says that, Jesus says, it says, when he saw their faith, notice verse 20, he said to him, man, uh, your sins are forgiven you, which 
is kind of like the Bible language of saying your sins have been forgiven you, which, again, what does that mean? It, it, why was this Jesus' opening statement? You got to understand, in, in Jesus' day, many people, and we know this, if you read the Gospels, you'll see it all over. The disciples were also part of their culture. And the cultural norm of their day was that to understand that really, and actually it's not too far away, it's still a lot of us who might, that, that when bad things happen to people, it was because of some type of thing that they had done wrong in their life. There are more than one occasions where they would come up to Jesus, his disciples, and they would say, you know, what did this guy do to have this happen? Or what did these people do for this tragedy to befall them? And they were waiting, because a lot of times they believed that it was either that, those people or their parents or their generations before. In other words, they saw a connect. There had to be a rationale for bad things that happened. And Jesus, instead of saying, well, yeah, this would, he would often say this has nothing to do with it. We live in a broken world, is what he was suggesting, a world that I've come in to heal, a world where bad things happen because it's not working right. And God is coming into that experience to address it at some level. In fact, he's going to enter into the most ugly aspect of it. He has sent me into this world, and I am going to enter into the brokenness at a level that it's going to blow you guys away when this is all done because I'm going to give everything I have. He enters into the ugliness of our brokenness. He, en- he enters into the pain of it all. That, the fact is, though, that Jesus said a lot of times that there is nothing, nobody did anything, but that did not mean that there were not times when he, Jesus would have suggested that it might have been connected to something that somebody had been participating in. I mean, in those days, um, you could acquire a disease that nowadays we would you know, take medicine for and be able to either you know, get better, get cured, or uh, be able to, you know, manage it. But we, we forget. I mean, honestly, we, we totally forget, you know, just hundreds of years ago how fragile life and health were and, and compared to what we experience today, things that we take for granted now um, that we would just simply go and get some antibiotics for would kill people. I mean, a little infection that we could manage rapidly, take care of in a week or two, it could kill someone. I mean, diseases were acquired and they weren't cured. There were no, there were no such things as, as many of the things that we uh, just, again, take for granted. Uh, even around childbearing, one of the things that you read in the New Testament is how oftentimes there's a, a blessing of protecting, it says, a, and, and, the, and the mother will be protected in bearing her children because so many people died, even as just, uh, I mean, from, there weren't C-sections, there weren't, moms would die, children would die. I mean, we, we forget why generations, even of the early Americans, had so many children because so many of them were acquainted with death. It, it was such a reality of, of existence. In Jesus' day, it was even more the case. People got sick, people got a disease. People, in this case, this friend, this man got paralyzed in some way. And it may have been connected to something he had been involved with, which may have explained why Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. But, the, but that also captured everything that Jesus had come to do. And he, was, he had declared himself to be the one who would take away, as John the Baptist had said, the sin of this world, that he was going to be the one that God had sent to bring life, not death, that he was the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised one. Well, I'll tell you, in that crowd, there were people in that crowd who would have said, well, maybe, maybe, he's like many today, maybe he's a teacher from God, maybe. Uh, prophet, perhaps. Um... A healer, well, unquestionably he has that. We don't know what power he has, how he, how he does it. But Savior, <laughs> D- 
the idea that Jesus could forgive sins, that was not something that they, it says here they begin to murmur. They said, who is this? Look at what it says here. It says, verse 21, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, who is this who speaks what? Blasphemies. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Who does he, who does he think he is? What kind, of, what kind of a statement is that? Your sins are forgiven you. Who can make such a statement? Only God forgives sins. In their economy, there was no, no way Jesus could make such a statement. And Jesus read the room, and he saw their heart, and he said to them, and you can see it pretty clearly, he says, well, let me ask you a question then. And it's a question that's far more complex than when we just read it through. Because what does he say to them? He says, well, let me ask you a question. What do you think? Is it actually easier to say your sins be forgiven you? Or take up your bed, rise up and walk. Get up and walk. What do you think? Now, in one sense, they're both, to say them, they're about equal, right? I mean, I could say, your sins are forgiven, or I can say, rise up and walk. There's no difference saying them. But in another sense, Jesus is saying this. Think about it. Someone says your sins are forgiven. How do you know? Can't measure that. I mean... If he was saying to them, you're telling me, I've told you this man's sins are forgiven, and I can see you doubt my ability to do it. He says, because why? Because you can't measure. Uh, he goes, well, I'll tell you what you can, but you can measure someone when they say rise up and walk and they, whether they do it or not. Would you agree? So that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. I say to this man, friend, get up. It's like the healing, he says, gave testimony to the authority of, of his capacity to forgive. His healing becomes a way of justifying his statement. I mean, it's a stunning development. The people there, notice what it says, the reaction that fills the room. And immediately he rose up before them, took up his bed, the bed that he had been lying on, and departed to his own house. And he was one of the, he was happy, he was glorifying, he was running out of the house. And they were all amazed, and they glorified. People begin to murmur, can you believe it? God! People are in fear, but the fear, it's not the terrified fear, it's the fear of awe. Like, we've just been a part of something that is a stunning, amazing thing. It says that, that we have seen strange things, paradoxical things, things that make no sense to us. What is going on here? Who is this man? How does he do this? Powerful moment. So that you may know. So that's the setup. Now let me, in the time that we have left, let me try to draw some things out of this that relates to our discussion around friendship. And I want to I suggest that there are more than a few things that might have meaning for us. Firstly, let's just start out by noting this. Uh, a key thing to consider is that his friends cared for him, this man's friends, because a lot of times we, we forget at the core, uh, beyond everything else that's going on between Jesus and the Pharisees in this room, at, at the core, this is a story about friends who are willing to carry their friend. And there will be times in our lives where we will need to show up for people who we say we care about. I was thinking about it. I mean, their care was demonstrated as true, as really almost all true love will be by their willingness to do, by their action, by their, their willingness to serve his interests and to lay aside their agendas and in a physically present way be there with him. He could not get himself to Jesus. 
But this idea, what, what, what I noticed is that the caring showed up in their presence. It had to do with someone who is willing to say, whatever else I've got going on, I'm, I'm going to be there because Jesus is going to be there. We're going to get you there. And if it means me changing what I'm doing, um, I'm gonna, we're going to carry you. We're going to carry That's going to, that costs me something. It's going to be effort. Uh, I might get a little sweaty. I'll certainly get dirty. But we're going to get, we are doing this. We are carrying you. We are going to, we care enough to carry. We are, we are going to show up for you, my friend. And I'll tell you, there are times in our lives where we will need to show up for people because sometimes our friends, our brothers, our sisters may be so weak, so beaten, so, so down, so out of, out of place, um, shamed, uh, devastated, I don't know, just apathetic, filled with doubt, despair. I, how could we, all the things that, that happen to us where there's nothing, the will's gone. We're so weak. Got no, I mean, there are times where we may be like that, where we may have, where it's barely able to muster any faith at all. Okay, we, we, we got, it's almost like we're paralyzed. We have no strength in us. Be able to do this thing, move forward. I don't know why. And then these places to have people in our lives who are willing to be physically present with us and willing to say, look, we're going to get you. We're gonna, we are here for you, and we are going to be there. To have people who are show up for us, not just think good thoughts when it's convenient. And again, this is not about criticism. Okay, this is not about criticizing and thinking what a bad friend this person is to my right or to my left or who, whatever. This is about, this is about being grateful for the people who show up. It's about really treasuring people and about not just treasuring people who show up for us, but asking ourselves the question, will we show up for others? Will we, will we also show up? Well, are we willing to carry? Are we willing to do work? That's what that seems to me. Effort involves sacrifice, cost something. If we're gonna, if they're gonna, if, by the way, if this man's going to get better, it's because a friend or two is willing to carry him. It ain't going to happen. He can't get there on his own. He cannot get there. There are times when we cannot get there. If I'm going to get there, it's because somebody's going to help me get there. But they didn't just, weren't content to just carry him. Notice the second. This, this also has to do with the idea of getting him. Here's our second thought. Getting him to Jesus. It's not just carrying somebody. It's where we carry them to. They were determined, listen, to bring him into the presence of Jesus. So it's not just carrying. There was a purpose in it. They wanted to get him to the Lord. Now, I remember I talked about this last week. I opened it up here that the best friendships we have are soul-nourishing ones, ones that are not destructive but actually help us. We all need people in our lives who after we spend time with them, we don't feel diminished, drained, or, or wearied, or more inclined to pull away from God, or less interested in God, or more, or more willing to throw caution in the wind and be reckless with our lives. That type of, that, those types of relationships will really hurt us. We all need people in our lives who 
after we've spent time with them, we come out of that, we come out of that one either, either yes, a little more joyful, but, but honestly, we need times when we come out of that strengthened in our resolve to do what God wants us to do, to do right. Strengthened in our resolve to want to actually pursue this with a greater degree of intention. Strengthened, encouraged. Um, so maybe someone who we can pray with or who would pray with us. Maybe someone who speaks life into us when we're battling with bitterness in our soul. Or anger is out of control in us and it is beginning to define us. And we need someone who can say, in love, in the love of Christ, I challenge you, please, let's watch our attitude here. Let's be careful here. We're on dangerous ground here. This is the stuff that can really destroy the inside of who you are. Let's be careful. Let's walk softly. You know, we need relationships that aren't just pretending. I have friendships that I enjoy that is just the, the joy of it is just being able to be around and have fun and be, be able to basically not think a lot about it and uh, we don't have to get in deep conversations, and those are great friendships to have, but we also need friendships and relationships where we can get real at a below-the-surface level, and we can do it in a way that is trustworthy, that is going to come out of it focusing more on God. As you think about this in a, in a way, look at verse 20. It's a remarkable verse. Why is it so remarkable? What do we see when you look at that verse? What did Jesus say he saw? What healed this man? What did he say heals this man? It's faith, but it wasn't his faith alone. When he saw what? Their faith. That is, that is not a common thing to see. It's very, Jesus didn't, when he says, when he, he says, he didn't, when he, he didn't say when he saw his faith. Now, I believe he had faith. Somebody, somebody said something to me in the, in the middle of the services. They said, you know, you talked about the faith of the guys or the friends who let their friend down. They said, but there was also that friend who was paralyzed was willing to cooperate and let them let him down. I thought, hmm, that's true. That's a true word. But what did Jesus see? He saw their faith. Their faith. What, that was a collect, that's, it, that, is it possible that there is something about a collective faith of friends who pull together that moves Jesus in an unusual way? Is it possible that there is a dynamic that is different than just the solo faith? Is it possible that there are times where it needs to be a we moment? When it's a team of friends or people committed to one another in the Lord who will actually move God to do something remarkable in the situation? Is it, I mean, you, you look at it, and you go, it was their faith. And how was their faith evidenced? It was evidenced by their action. Not just by this is what we believe, but what they were doing. And what were they doing? They were tenacious. They were ingenious. They were creative. They were out of the box. They went up and they got up on our, they said, we got to the room. Oh, we're late. It's filled. There's no room. They won't let us in. We'll go up to the roof. And we'll tear open a hole. And we're going to get you in there. That's in, that is a relentlessness. That's a creativity. That's something that says, you know what? We're going to think out of the box on this thing. We're just going to, we're just going to turn around and go back home. or just We're going to find a way to get you to Jesus. That is huge. And that leads me to this third thought. That, that a lot of times is connected to our determination, our refusal to give up but instead a commitment to finding a way. A lot of relationships quit too soon. They weren't that far away 
God was about to do an amazing thing. And, and we need to be careful about this. We need to be careful. And I'm speaking to myself. And it's one of the reasons why I love filling my life with people who are can-do, don't-limit-God kinds of people. Because, and I know, I'm, I tend towards being more of a, a sober, well, we'll see, you know, I, I believe God can, but I, I, rare, I don't like presuming on the Lord. But we all need to have people in our lives who inspire us to have faith and to believe and to not give up. Okay, we're going to get you to Jesus. How? We're going to carry you. Well, how many of you guys are going to do I don't know. I like to think there was four of them. I don't know that for sure. It says, I know there's more than one, right? And so we're going to carry you. Okay, that sounds great. We get to the house. It's filled up. Okay, now what? We're going we're gonna to take you to the roof. Okay, so we take you to the roof. Uh, what next? We tear it open. Okay. <laughs> What are you gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get ropes and we're gonna tie them to the corner of your bed and we're gonna lower you we're gonna lower you down each one of us on the side we're gonna just you're gonna do it, okay? <laughs> and they did it, and it was determination. It was a commitment. It was a refusal to give up. Listen, there are times now. Is that not the way of Jesus? who steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem and refused to give up. Now think about this. Jesus would say, and this is in, in John 14 and 15, he said this one time, he said, he goes, listen, I will always be with you even unto the ends of the earth as I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, he says but listen to me. I do not just call you. Now, this is how I see it. I see him looking into their faces on this last night before his, his final days. And I hear him saying, you look at me right now. I don't just call you servants. I don't just say, you go do this. Because listen to me. I call you my friends. Not, not listen, I call you my, my friends. And then he says, and greater love has no man than a man lays down his life for his friends. And that is what I will do for you and I'm going to do for you and for this world and to as many as will receive me. And it will not be the end. It will be actually a new thing. And death will not be the final word. In fact, he said, I do not let your hearts be filled with anxiety and trouble and overcome with fear of what you cannot understand. He says, remember this. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, it's almost like Jesus saying, and if it were not so, I would have told you. Listen, I'm not making... This is what, it's, it's like Jesus is looking at us and saying, I'm not making this up. I mean, when Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you. It's like he's saying to me, if this wasn't true, you think I wouldn't say it. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, it's a place that you won't be able to go to yet, but someday you will. But between now and then, you have a life to live. And let me tell you how I want you to live it. I want you to live it by loving one another as I have loved you. Be sacrificial in your love. Go the extra mile. Follow through. Keep your commitment.
love to the end. Having loved them, he says, he loved them to the end. Now that's beauty. May God inspire us in that kind of way. In that kind of way. And between the now and the then, between where we are now and whenever we leave, one of the gifts of God are our friendships. May we treasure them, bless them, be good friends, fulfill the will of our Father, love one another. The song that we're closing with is called Stay With You. It's, it's going to be a little high energy. Um, so <laughs> some of you might want to put the, the earplugs in. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, it's going to be great. But the idea of stay with you has to do, uh, the reason, one of the reasons we picked it is because it has this idea of the walls coming down. It has the idea of breaking through. It has the idea of others who are committed to us and us being committed to one another. And so as we close the service, Lord, as we get ready to end our time here together, these closing minutes before our time of giving, which we seek to honor you there as well, Lord, and I thank you for those who are deeply committed to your work, to you, to this body, this church. But I also, Lord, ask that you would just let these words, let these thoughts, let these time, you know, let these words that, that you have given us to live out of, let them seep into our soul and let us be challenged. Let us be challenged about what it means to be committed, what it means to, to follow through, what it means to love well in a, in a culture, honestly, that we're a part of that is genuinely confused about what real love looks like. Help us to try to understand it better by looking at you. And so we pray that you would bless our relationships, bless our homes, our friendships, our workplaces, Lord, with increasing health and life. Let there be life, not death. You're the life giver. We pray for this. Bless our closing song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, Lord. Amen.